0: To, to, what we're doing in this series called Spring Cleanings, we're dealing with the last 10% that we keep hidden from everybody else. And the Lord said, bring it to the light because I see whole people and I want people to know that they are whole. And if we got this 10% lingering, we can't live in the wholeness that God has for us. And it may be more than 10%. 10% is just a number, right? And today we're addressing marriages that are not at 100%. So if you're anything less than 100%, you're in the right place. And if you're at 100%, come up here and preach, and I'll sit down. <laughs> like, anyone? No one. Eli, you're not married yet. Put your hand up. So we're gonna look in Genesis chapter one. If you have a Bible, I want you to take it out. Genesis chapter one, and as you're turning there, I'm gonna read another scripture. It'll be up on the screens, but you don't need to turn there. We're reading from the prophet Malachi, verses uh, chapter two, verse 11, and the, the prophet Malachi, the prophet is just one who speaks for God, is speaking to the Israelites. In this scripture, he calls them Judah, which is the same group of people, just a different name. The Israelites are God's people on the earth back in the Old Testament. Judah, the prophet says, has been unfaithful. Uh oh. A detestable thing has been committed. What is that detestable thing? In Israel and in Jerusalem, Judah has desecrated the sanctuary. The Lord loves this sanctuary. Now, how has this detestable, despicable, desecrated thing happened? Here's what he says. By marrying women who worship a foreign god. This is what takes down the nation of Judah and of Israel. At that time, there were two separate nations, The people, the Israelites, have been taken down because the women have married, they've married women who worship a foreign god. This is the one sin that stood out. It's the downfall of Judah, the intermingling of marriage, taking the Israelites and marrying them to a foreigner, taking the holy ones and marrying them to the worldly. That's what's happened. Why does that matter? Why is that a big deal? Because from the very beginning, which I'm about to show you, God had a distinct purpose for marriage. And I believe today that if we would adopt this distinct purpose for our marriages, it would be the beginning of healing and completion for our marriages, for your marriage. And again, if you're not married, you know someone who is. So Genesis chapter 1, we get the prescription the first mention of what marriage is all about. Genesis chapter one, verse 26, then God said, let us, God's speaking, by the way, to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. That's who he's having this conversation with. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created, say the word, them. Say the word. Male and female, he created. Are you all there? Thank you. God blessed and said to be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves upon the ground. The them in this verse, based on what you read in the rest of Genesis 1, 2, and 3, can be extracted to be the first original married couple, Adam and Eve. <laughs> Pastor Henry, watch yourself. They are the first married couple. God created marriage when he created male and female, that's why you see the word, them, 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 them. It's not just him, 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 him. He's not speaking to Adam, he's speaking to the married couple, Adam and Eve. That's who he's speaking to. Why did God create marriage? The reasons are right here in Genesis chapter one. and this beginning section that I'm teaching, I love to give credit where credit is due. I learned myself from Jimmy Evans, who's like a marriage ministry gift from God. He just understands the scriptures and explains them almost better than anyone I've ever heard in regards to marriage. So three things that a marriage was built for. Number one, to replicate God's nature and image on the earth. Verse 27 says it right there, I'm gonna read it again. So God created mankind in his own image and the image of God he created them, male and female. He created them. The husband and the wife bear the image of God. A husband and wife who serve and are following God represent, look like, act like, smell like, feel like the kingdom of heaven, like God. They're bearing his image together. In a godly marriage, God is manifested. We have this triune relationship. It's why God is speaking to Jesus and the Holy Spirit at the beginning. And you have one plus one plus one equals one. Equal in every way, yet distinct in who they are so it is in the marriage and we could do an entire sermon on this right here but i'm just truncating it for this morning you have god the father in the marriage you have jesus the groom and you have holy spirit the bride in a marriage one plus one plus one equals one it's the same thing that's happening in god and his 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 nature is this distinct three thing but one. So it is in a marriage, this distinct three thing but one. God the Father in the marriage, again, a godly marriage is what makes a difference, not any other kind of marriage. One plus one plus one equals one, and we bear his image as a married couple following him. Number two, we extend God's kingdom authority on the earth. As image bearers of God, the married couple becomes an emissary of the kingdom of heaven. An emissary simply means a special envoy, one sent from an authority to go and carry out a specific, special mission. Did you know that your marriage has a specific, special mission? From the very beginning, it wasn't just so that you could have a companion, that you could have intimacy and make a family. It was something higher than that. It's All those things included, but higher. Verse 26 and verse 28 both say it. Your job as a married couple is to subdue the earth. To rule over it. To rule over every living creature. When you hear this, don't think Putin. Don't think Hitler, Mussolini, or the like. Because God is not a dictator. Think the kingdom of heaven's values administered through a married couple to the earth. A married couple who's following God. So important. I may overstate it 150 times. God's perfect order, God's perfect peace administered through godly people existing in relationship with one another and with the king. Replicate God's nature and image on the earth. Extend God's kingdom authority on the earth. And finally, this third one, to generationally perpetuate the nature of God and his kingdom values through righteous offspring. Having children raised in a godly home. And just to take all the pain out of the room, this could be children by blood, children by adoption, or children by the spirit. Meaning You lead someone to Jesus and then raise them in the faith. You disciple them. You don't leave them on the doorstep in a basket. Right? Malachi chapter 2 also says this has not, this is verse 15, has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and in spirit. And what does the one God seek? What's he looking for from us? Godly offspring, so be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. This is tied back to the opening passage. They were intermingling and could not have godly offspring because now the children aren't sure if they should serve the Hebrew God or Baal or Moloch. Some children are thrown into the fire, sacrificed to these other gods, and the Lord's like, that is not how we perpetuate the kingdom. On the earth, It's a biblical mandate. Let me just give you some stats. In 2015, 31% of the world was Christian. 24% of the world was Muslim. In 2050, it's predicted that 32% of the world will be Christian, which is good news. Some say the church is in decline. We're going to grow 1%, but 1% of 7 billion is a lot of people. Amen? Somebody could do the math. Not me. <laughs> but in the same year 2050, the Muslim population will have grown from 24% to 31%. Just 1% behind Christianity. And in 2070, Muslims will outnumber Christians by a large margin. You know why? Because Muslim people are having a lot of children. Six, seven on average. In America, it's two kids and we're done. Like, are you guilt tripping me into having more kids? They don't have to be physical children, but children in faith, children by adoption, absolutely I'm not guilt tripping you at all, I'm just saying what the Lord asked us to do, to perpetuate his kingdom on the earth and that happens in a godly marriage. I say all of these things replicate God's nature and image on the earth, extend God's kingdom authority on the earth, and the generationally perpetuate his kingdom, to say this, now we can understand why marriage is under attack. Because if you're the enemy, you take out strategic outposts of whatever it is that you're fighting. The Russians, they're blowing up everything. That's because they're not fighting smart if they were fighting smart, they would just take out these military strategic points, and that's what the enemy's doing to us. He's saying, wow, if marriages are supposed to bear image of God on the earth, if marriage is supposed to bring godly rule on the earth, and if marriage is supposed to perpetuate God's kingdom, I know where I'm gonna attack. I'm gonna attack marriage. Show of hands, how many of you would say that marriage is under attack in the world? We're all convinced. The devil hates godly marriage because it reflects the image of God. Because marriage brings about the order of God and because marriage perpetuates the kingdom of God. He hates it. He hates it. Not only the devil, but humanity, as you can just take a look around, has also rejected marriage, not because they want to reject marriage as much as they want to reject godly rule. And instead of godly rule, what we'd rather have is fleshly rule, where my flesh governs what I do. And then I want my government to govern the way I want my flesh to govern. Are you all out there this morning? Okay. (laughs) When you have flesh governing or the government governing what you want your flesh to do, What you have is disorder because of the rejection of rightful authority. Do you know what that's the definition of? Anarchy. (laughs) Woo! I mean, just kind of overstating, generalizing a little bit here. As the dissolve of godly marriage has come, anarchy has risen. Would you agree with that? Somebody say yes. I feel alone up here. (laughs) Here's what I want to say to you. Everybody, if you're married, this is for your marriage. If you're not married, this is for you to take to someone who is. Your spouse is not the enemy. Amen. Your spouse isn't the enemy. I'm going to ask married couples in the room to do something. I'm gonna ask you to have a secret communication system. Right now, grab each other's hands, and for the rest of this service, hold hands. Please, some of you, don't be rebellious. Hold your wife, hold your husband's hand in the name of Jesus. When you're there, say, I'm there. I'm there. Excellent. And when I say something that you agree with, or a question I ask, but you don't want the whole room to know just your spouse to know. just like, Squeeze, 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 squeeze. Okay? So here's a question. Does your spouse look good today? Uh, you better be squeezing, dudes. That's all I'm saying. Okay? Are you hopeful as you sit here today as a married couple? Maybe not. I don't know. We're going to find out. Okay, just keep the hands together. It's good. Christine, you want to sit here on the stage? Nope, rejection. (laughs) I'm just kidding. So as we're cleaning out our closets and spring cleaning, I want to put the wound of divorce and the hidden struggle of marriage out in the open. And it's not really a hidden fact that people that are married struggled. What's hidden is that your marriage is struggling. Meaning you go to C group and you're like, And then you go home and you're like, right? And listen, I'm not talking about 90% of your marriage. I'm talking about the 10% that lingers around enough, that causes enough toxicity that sometimes when there's compression of stress and ugliness, that 10% seems to take over our lives and we begin to feel hopeless and stuck. This is how it's always gonna be. This stinks. And I want out, potentially. Whoop. Hmm. We're going to deal with that today. Now, we're not going to be able to take a deep dive and to heal every little part of marriage. Maybe. I mean, God's in the room, and he can do whatever he wants. So I don't want to say what he can't do, because he can do. But here's what I hope you at least leave with today. Hope and a plan. If that sounds good to you as a married couple, give it me. If your spouse isn't here, like I see Gary, your, your wife's up in Ohio, just, just like, <laughs> yes, 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 perfect. Mm-hmm. I want you to leave here with a plan and with hope. So let's start with hope. Number one, here's how we begin hope. We need to erase the stigma. I don't know who it was that decided that people who are divorced or people who are in marital problems have to wear a scarlet letter. Like, shame on you. Divorce is a sin unless it's biblically grounded in infidelity. But there's a million sins, and ain't nobody wearing scarlet letters for them. So why do we look at divorce people like scraps, like, oh, you had a divorce. And I don't know that actually people do that, but I think maybe divorced people feel that. Like, oh, yeah, I got divorced. Now, listen, I don't want to make divorce easy or an option But if you've been through it, the Lord wants to heal. If you're having marital problems, here today, the enemy would rather you feel shame and to hold your heads low and to hide it than to heal it. Let's erase the stigma. Let's get rid of this concept, this idea that you're some jacked up couple if you have issues. If you're a jacked up couple that has issues, here's what I'll call you. Normal. It happens. I'm gonna overwhelm you with scripture here and I'm doing it on purpose. I'm overstating something for a fact. Matthew 4, 24, news about Jesus spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering acute pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed and he healed them. Luke chapter eight, verses one and two. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, who had seven demons come out of her. Woo! Matthew chapter 8, verse 16, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. Luke chapter 6, verse 17 to 19. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to him and uh, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Excuse me. Acts chapter 5, verse 16, crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Luke chapter 13, verse 10, on a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman who was there had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and began to praise God. Mark chapter seven, a woman begs at Jesus' feet for him to heal her daughter. Mark chapter nine, a man brings his son who's demon-possessed to Jesus to be healed. Matthew chapter eight, a centurion pleads with Jesus to heal his paralyzed servant. Luke chapter eight, Jairus pleads with Jesus to heal his 12-year-old daughter who is dying. Here's the point, people didn't hide what was sick from the healer. In all of these scenes, people are gathering, bringing what's broken to Jesus because it's Jesus. Jesus. They're like, oh my gosh, Jesus is here. Hide the sick, because they embarrass us. They didn't look at the illness. They looked at the healer. And they weren't ashamed to bring their demon-possessed, impure spirit, broken back, hunched over for 18 years selves in front of the king. Luke chapter 5 Jesus himself said it's not for the healthy that I've come because the healthy don't need a doctor the sick do no shame in being sick I think the shameful thing would be is if the sick didn't recognize it and didn't come forward to the healer just stayed hidden because of the stigma. Stigma makes us do that. We're gonna hide. We're not gonna talk about it. We're not even gonna admit that we need help, much less get help when the help literally today is in the room. The healer's in the room. If your marriage is unwhole, which means it's less than 100% perfect, the healer's in the room to heal it. Crowds gathered from all over a nation when the healer was in a room. Whew. Hmm. Remove the stigma. Here's the second part of hope. Remember, believe that the Redeemer lives. Don't forget that he is alive today, and he can heal your marriage. And you may say, well, you don't know my marriage. And I would say, well, you don't know my Redeemer. He brings dead things back to life. He, He takes the impossible and makes it possible. Only Jesus can do this. Redeemer, by its word, means one who sets things right. There was a price to be paid, a debt that was owed, and he redeemed the debt. He set it right again. And we, when we use words like put things back in order, what that actually means is shalom. A redeemer brings shalom. Shalom just means everything as it should be, everything in order. So what was out of order, the redeemer sets in order. You could restate the name redeemer by saying he's a reorderer. Christine and I got married in September of 1998, which means next year is 25 years of marriage, right? Do I look old enough? To, she certainly does not look old enough to be married. I married her when she was 8. <laughs> She's having to explain to Eli right now that that's not true. What? Uh, our first 3 years or so of marriage were they were just okay. You know? I would say they were typical, meaning we got married and did not know how to be married. I was used to, I'd lived for three years on my own as a bachelor. The remote belonged to one person only. Sometimes I had popcorn for dinner, sometimes jello. Never jello and popcorn, that'd be weird. Only that would be weird. <laughs> and when you get married, you start to share everything. You have to learn to sleep in a bed together when you're used to rolling and flopping all over the place. Yeah, you just have to learn all these things. And one thing you have to learn that nobody tells you about because Hollywood makes it all look so glamorous is that you have to learn how to fight. Like, what are you talking about? When I say fight, all I mean is disagreement. And when you disagree in a marriage, what in the world's gonna happen? Who's gonna win? Who's gonna be right? Who's gonna get their way? And when you're stressed and young, living off of a youth pastor's salary, woo! Can I get a witness? Pastor Paul's here now. We talked about you earlier, it was great. Everyone applauded. You weren't here. (laughs) Sorry. We love you. We didn't know how to fight. And at the worst of times, this is what you think. Well, We made an agreement, divorce was not an option. So it's just going to kind of be like, eh, all my life. Not terrible, not great, because we just sometimes are like oil and water. And then you watch these movies and it's like romance and the, the notebook and all this perfection between these couples. And like, what's wrong with us? We must be awful. Number one, I didn't realize the devil hated marriage and was attacking our marriage from day one against us, that she's not the enemy, I'm not the enemy. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against this power who's hating marriage. And number two, we had no order to our marriage. We had an order we were making, but it wasn't a healthy order, so we went to this thing called a Weekend to Remember with Family Life Ministries, and somebody finally told us that there's a way to fight fair, and there's a way to order your marriage. And did everything get solved in that weekend? No, but I can tell you this without a shadow of doubt. There is not a better marriage in America than the one that I have to my wife, Christine. Now, there's lots of equals. Lots of equals. And I pray there's more and more and more and more equals. And we're, we still have, we still have fights. We still disagree, but our marriage is one of those home run, you always wish it would be kind of marriages, not because we're great, but because he is great and the Redeemer reordered us to who he is and our marriage to what it should be. Do you believe the Redeemer is still alive? and it's not too late for your marriage to reorder the entire thing and make it incredible. Yay, yes, I believe it. Here's the plan, here's the order, here's the last thing. We need to reorder to original design. Every marriage needs to reorder to original design. We read it in Genesis chapter one. If someone has ever said to you, you need to get a vision for your marriage, God said, I gave you one in Genesis chapter one. Now, obviously, we have to flesh it out for each personal couple here. But there's an original order that God gave us bear the image, extend the authority, perpetuate the kingdom. Bear the image, extend the authority, perpetuate the kingdom. I wrote it down in three statements. Looks like this number one, look like Jesus. Be an image bearer. Be a kingdom culture carrier. Both marriage and Jesus have similar functions. They are to be God's manifest presence on the earth. The triune nature of God in Jesus, the triune nature of God in a marriage. We bring it forward, the manifest physical presence of God on the earth. And here's what the kingdom culture is, by the way. Colossians chapter three. If you wanna read a verse every day for your marriage, read this one. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, this is verse 12, clothe yourself with the following. When you wake up, you're naked. Put these things on. I'm talking about your spirit, not your body. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has any grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds all the rest together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful for your spouse. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you were called to peace. Oops. Dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And finally, verse 17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You want to look like Jesus, just live Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17, you will manifest, be an image-bearer of God. Number two, love like Jesus. Jesus' government is run on one thing and one thing only, love. We follow laws according to our government, and what laws the government puts forward, we do in accordance to those laws. Jesus gave us two laws, and they're both founded, grounded on love. Matthew chapter 22 Verse 36, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, the prophets, hang on these two commandments. Everything in my government, says Jesus, hangs on love. Loving one another, loving God first and then loving one another as an outflow of our love relationship with him. Are you extending that love to your spouse? Hmm. Love like Jesus, look like Jesus, and finally, replicate like Jesus. Here's where I can say to you boldly that the Lord is not asking you just to have physical, biological children. Because Jesus had none. Yet every single one of us here is his child. We are born of the blood of Jesus into the newness of life in Christ. And that's what I mean when I say replicate. Yes, if you're married and you're thinking about having kids, maybe the Lord is speaking to you today and saying, yeah, have kids. Or maybe you're thinking about adopting and the Lord is saying to you today, that's why I put married couples on the earth is to replicate, make disciples. Or maybe it's through spiritual children, leading someone in the faith. The single people, you, you can 100% do this as well. Raise up spiritual children. Jesus did, Paul did, all the apostles did, Planning churches, the early days, replicate like Jesus, love like Jesus, look like Jesus. This is a vision for any marriage, any marriage. I want to close today by saying two things. Number one, that QR code you took earlier will lead you to something called grace marriage. It's not for marriages in crisis. If that's you, if you're a marriage in crisis, see one of our encouragers at the end of the service today and say, my marriage is in crisis. We have other resources for you. This grace marriage is preventative, proactive, incredible learning for you as a married couple to walk into this new season, to make what's good better, to make what's great greater from glory to glory. It's an e-group, which means it's like an elective. You you go and it's like six, I can't remember how many weeks it is. Pastor Valdemar, six weeks, thank you. Six weeks that you'll join together and have an incredible time reordering your marriage. Let the Redeemer come in and reorder it, bring peace to it. It takes proactivity. To go and do that and here's the second thing (laughs) i love this i want to open up the altar and if your marriage is not 100 the healer's in the room we read all throughout the new testament i just read like 20 scriptures to you when jesus is there people couldn't stop themselves from coming but the stigma says it's embarrassing to walk forward not when Jesus is around. Can you imagine what you would feel if you saw a crippled person, a person possessed by a demon walking towards Jesus? Would you feel like, oh, what a shame. Look at that awful person. Or would you think instead, they're about to get healed. Look what's about to happen. Praise God. When people come to the altar, you know what the rest of the church should do? should be happening because the healers in the room so I want to pray and you'll know when if your marriage is in need of prayer meaning it's not a hundred percent perfect which means my wife and I will be here at the altar this morning then I'm gonna invite you to come I'm gonna pray for you pray over you believing that healing can start Now, today. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, the first thing I want to do by the power of the Holy Spirit is break the stigma, break the shame, and thank you, Lord, that your healing power is in the room. All we need to do is respond and come and touch, just touch, this healing power is going out of you. And so, Lord, I pray for an emboldening of strength and faith in every married couple in this room. And if you're here by yourself and you're married spouse is somewhere else and you want to come forward? Come forward. Well, Lord, we open your altar, one, two, three, now, now, now. Any married couple, come and join us. My wife's going to come up here. We're going to pray. If you're there and you're not sure, just squeeze hands with your couple like, yeah, we're going. We're doing it. We're doing it. We're going up. You want to come up here with me? Yes. Just come. Everyone gather together here. The rest of the church, this is when we're rejoicing. This is good stuff. Hello. Everyone in the position? Come on. Your husband is coming, Celia. (laughs) Praise God. As we're praying, if you want to come forward, you can come forward. Go ahead, yes. Everyone clapping, clapping, clapping. I honor you, married couples. Some of you are in hard places, some of you are in great places. I'll tell you this, standing here, you're all in a great place. You're saying to the Lord, God, put your hands upon this marriage. We are but clay. Shape us now and take this hopelessness from us and set us upon the rock. Father, in the name of Jesus, we bless these marriages. We bless these husbands and wives. God, would you extend your mercy and grace from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet and through all the years of their marriage. May every bump, bruise, hiccup that's happened be laid low in the name of Jesus. We will not live on the regret of the past, but on the promise of what you're doing here today. God, you make all things new. Lord, would you allow hope to arise that bitterness and that hopelessness would be sucked out by the blood of Jesus. You finished the work, God. Apply your finished work to these marriages. May hope arise. God, we speak against the lying tongue of the enemy. We speak against his evil tactics, his desire to attack these beautiful, wonderful, powerful, majestic couples. Lord, that you have set aside, that you have put together, let no man put it asunder. God, bless now with proliferation of grace and mercy and power. Newness of life, hope, dating, intimacy, conversation, joy, vision, future, purpose, put it all in them. No one can steal it. We bind it in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name.